0: Good morning, church family. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Pray, uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we have come to see Jesus. Help us to do that in these moments. Lead us to give our hearts without distraction. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I just want to be out there with it. I love Chicago. Anyone else love Chicago? And there are many feathers to the cap of Chicago, uh, many reasons to love it. Uh, or, or One of the stars I consider even on the municipal flag of Chicago is the World's Columbian Exposition or the World's Fair in 1893. Have you heard of this? It was an amazing display. In fact, if you do some history, one of the things it had was um, the first Ferris wheel, which uh, didn't remain the last Ferris wheel as we know in Chicago or in London or in other big cities. There are amazing musicians. Scott Joplin, ragtime piano player, John Philip Sousa, a great band conductor, Antoine Dvorak came and and, and led music during that celebration, incredible music. But perhaps what's the, the greatest thing about the World's Fair back in 1893 was the city that was created. Here it is. It was called the White City based on the white stucco that went over all the buildings. And uh, it actually inspired a city design movement called the City Beautiful Movement, where other cities tried to follow this type as they built around. It's just incredible to consider those buildings. But if you know anything about them, you know they were not built to last. In fact, they did not last. One of the only surviving structures is the Museum of Science and Industry, which actually had to be rebuilt with permanent materials um, in order for it to survive. The rest of them, well, they got burnt in fire, and Chicago knows something about fires. And uh, they weren't built with uh, the the strong materials, they were just built with cement and and, and overlaid with stucco, and so they're no longer here. And what this city kind of reminds me of is, is my experience as a child going to New Mexico, and I went to the set of an old western. And and you could see old westerns and uh, you could walk into the general store and be so excited for all the goods that they would share and sell and what you'd find is just a wall (laughs) propped up by some wood. And if you've ever had an experience like this, we we come to a principle why I refer to these things as this is because we often faked out by things that look beautiful on the outside. Isn't that true? We're often faked out by things that look beautiful on the outside. Those buildings, they look like they're from Paris and they look like they should stand, but, but really they weren't built to last. The, the outside confuses us. And maybe you've given this advice to a son or daughter who is dating. Beware of beauty on the outside faking you out, right? There better be some good stuff on the inside, too. Maybe this is your thought when you're buying a home, and we live in a day and age where they flip homes. And so you got to beware, yes, they might have stainless appliances and a kitchen backsplash, but does it have good bones? This is true in car buying. Uh, Not just being aware of a a shiny paint job and, and the paint job on the hood, but what's under the hood. I remember once I bought a car without looking under the hood, and the whole time driving home, I was worried that if I'd open it, I'd find a hamster on a spinning wheel that would turn the engine. I didn't find that, friends. I just found a big battery, which was a little better. Um. But yes, beware of beauty on the outside that fakes us out for what the inside is really all about. And why am I bringing this up? Well, we're in this series called, What Would Jesus Undo? And it's really a take on WWJD. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, WWJD is actually still alive and well. um, If you watch the Bears game, Any Bears fans still? Okay, all right. And and, and the opponent um, actually has WWJD, which is what would Jesus do? And what he wouldn't do is double doink. I'm I'm sorry, that's going to be forever a phrase that we don't want to remember. Double doink is just no good. Sorry, Bears fans, but what would Jesus do, right? Leads us into all sorts of thoughts. When when, again, we're interacting with people or uh, how we live our lives, it's a good question to ask. But what we're asking, you know, instead of what pleases God's heart, what breaks his heart? What would Jesus undo? And to this, you know what he would un- undo? He would undo all the things that look beautiful on the outside. All those who are nominally Christian, know how to say and know how to do all the right things without actually being true to the heart. And what I would remind you today is that you might be able to fake out other people, but you cannot fake out God. We considered the first lesson. Remember that that reading? It was a parable of the wheat and the weeds. And Jesus told this parable saying, you know, God sowed the wheat, which was believers, those who were sincere in heart and trusted the Lord. And the enemy, the devil, came in and sowed weeds, which were unbelievers, those who, who didn't have faith in Jesus. And while the people didn't know and they weren't trying to figure it out, God did know exactly what was going on. And so he reminds us, I want your heart. I see what's going on. I don't want you to just go through the motions and and be Christian in name, but actually be and follow me. So we're going to take a look. And and today we're going to learn from a, a group of religious leaders who looked very beautiful on the outside. They looked very strong on the outside. Uh, They were the most devout uh, religious people of the day. They were called the the Pharisees, and maybe you've heard of them. And and, and as far as civic righteousness, as far as being good people, you could not outdo a Pharisee. As far as knowing all the laws and all the Christianese, is what what we would call it, the, the right things to say and do, they knew how to do those things. But they actually broke Jesus' heart. Because they were missing something, and that's what we get to learn from again today. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read the whole section, then we're going to dig it, dig into it, pick it apart. So I invite you to follow along. Um, It's either on the screen here or in your worship folders. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and Jesus, by the way, is being very firm, like, some have called him savage in just his response, his activity. He says, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. And thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain; their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, "Listen, understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them." Then the disciples came to him and asked, "Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Do you think he knew if they were offended?" I think so and yet he says it anyway because it breaks his heart what they were doing in fact as as we explore and continue could you do me a favor audience participation can you turn to the person next to you and say he knows your heart he knows your heart I was gonna say he sees your soul but that sounds scary so he he knows your heart Let's dig into the word a little bit together. And as we continue, would would you agree that distracted driving is dangerous? Anyone familiar with distracted driving? Okay, you probably wouldn't admit it. You're thinking about someone else, aren't you, right now? (laughs) And and that's why texting while driving is illegal, right? Because distracting driving is dangerous. Um, I I saw on Facebook uh, this uh, tunnel painted on a wall. Which, uh, which is really bad, because if you're not paying attention, this car actually ran into that wall. Yeah. I was driving just this past week on Route 30, and uh, if anyone knows where the JC Penney's in the subway is, uh, I saw in my rearview mirror someone turning into the subway, and the car behind it not noticing it until it was too late. Not only hit the car, but it flipped the car over. Yeah, all in my rearview mirror. I did call it in, everyone's Okay. But that's the danger of distracted driving, isn't it? You don't want to be distracted. Bad things can happen. Well, distractions happen in life. I don't know if you've ever had this experience either. Have you ever been trying to do something at your home, like let's say do the laundry, and then you get distracted by something, maybe in the kitchen there's some food, and then you wind up saying, now, what was I doing? Has anyone ever been there? Like you have no idea why you're in the room, right? No idea at all, but here you are, right? Well, the reason I bring this up is because this is uh, true to what Jesus is talking about. What is the problem? Jesus said, you guys are distracted. You guys are all hung up about washing hands. Uh, You're acting kind of like teachers in grade school. Everyone line up and wash your hands. But you're missing the point. Because Jesus said, look what's happening. Why do you break the command of God, which is, everyone would agree, more important, for the sake of a tradition? And he went on to say that you guys don't even honor your father and mother. You don't take care of them because you say, well, well, no, this, this has to be my tithe and go to God, right? And what he's talking to us, how it relates to us today is, is this, this first takeaway. If you've been taking notes, um, beware of distracted worship. Beware of going through the motions. Beware of checking the box, Beware of mouthing something that you don't even pause to realize what you're saying. And what we recognize is, unfortunately, this is all too common. Because have you ever said a creed like the Apostles' Creed if you've been in church for a while? Sometimes zoned out. Not really remembering all the things we're describing about God and His wonderful activity. Have you ever mouthed the Lord's Prayer? without pausing to consider what is behind the emphasis of your will be done, your kingdom come, give us today our daily bread. Just going through the motions. Have you ever shown up in church and, and you realize as you step out that you got nothing? And you got nothing, not because nothing was there, but because you just didn't clock in, you couldn't get past whatever distraction was in your mind going on right now. Which is why as a pastor, do you know, one of my jobs is to engage you to the word? The word is powerful, but it doesn't work if you're not engaged. And so sometimes I tell a story and show a video. Sometimes I talk about life because it will engage you to what truly matters, the word. And I love to remind people this. Do you know I can see you right now? (laughs) So do you know I have an inkling whether you are engaged or not? Some of you have thought of your shopping lists for the grocery store. I know this. I know this. Beware of being distracted, of going through the motions, of just calling yourself a Christian and not really actually doing it or caring about what Jesus would care about. Because God would say, if, if all you're concerned about is the outward activity, all you're going to be left with is the rules of man and not actually the things of God. And what matters is the things of God. And then in a moment of levity, if I could get there... What would it be if we just go through motions without really engaging with the Savior? Well, well, Jesus, he he said some stark law, a hard word. He said that when it comes to the end, to that harvest, some people are going to think they're getting in, but they're not getting in. In fact, look what he said in his Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be some who are so, again, tied up by, by just what other people told them. I consider the time of the Reformation. Consider those who are buying indulgences and would go to, to God and say, but, but Lord, I bought this, this indulgence. Let me in. Is that going to work? Not without faith in Jesus Christ. And so what about Christians today? Well, my family are believers. Let me in. Will I belong to this or that church? Let, let me in. Will I do this or that thing? Let me in. And God says, beware. Beware because what I'm really looking for is, is your heartbeat. A heartbeat that says, man, my Savior is Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has died my death, who has forgiven me, who has set me free. Beware of all the outward. And so what is the solution? The solution for distracted worship is this, is is to go back to the gospel. Go back to the reason that we've gathered. Go back to peering into the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Go back and remember why we confess our sins is really to remember what happened on the cross, that here we exchanged all of our sins there and we received from the cross righteousness so that I could be clothed like Savannah. I see that white gown. So that I could be clothed with perfection. He doesn't see a stain. I am clothed white, white as snow. That's mine in Jesus Christ. I remember that God sent his son from heaven to earth for my sake. I remember that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice so that I could be set free. I remember that in Jesus I have an unfailing love which will never let me down. He will always be there for me and will never leave me or forsake me. This is Jesus Christ, your savior, my savior. How awesome is that message that we celebrate. A resurrection which is the essence of victory. A double doink doesn't negate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So beware of distracted worship. But now, what would, what would good worship look like? I, I guess we need to ask that question. And, and yes, the heart, but um, to talk about this a little bit further, um, I, I think it's a great thing that in the NFL there are touchdown celebrations. Anyone else like the touchdown celebrations? Well, even if you don't, I wanted to share with you some memorable touchdown celebrations. Uh, you have from the Tennessee Titans uh, a bowling activity, and, and they would all fall down. Uh, you have, Bears fans, I haven't forgotten about, you have rowing the boat. That was, that was a clever one. I don't know if you remember that one. And, and you have uh, Duck, Duck, Goose. That's, that's great. Love it. Love it. Now, let's just say we, we try to deduce and make a logical argument that one is better than the other. Let's say I would try to propose to you that Duck, Duck, Goose is the greatest celebration that has ever taken place. And, and I tell you because of, look at all the involvement. Look at how well that circle is done. Look at, look at how, how, you know, just funny to have adults act like children. You know, this is the greatest one in the world. Let's say someone else argues that the bear's rowing the boat is, is much, much better. Who really wins that argument? And maybe better, why does it matter? <laughs> number one, you can't really win the argument. (laughs) You know, you're basically going to be fueling your own ideas, (laughs) and it doesn't really matter because they're both just celebrations. I have a point. I have a point. What is worship that pleases the Lord? Worship, finally, is just a creative celebration flowing from the heart. That's all it is. In fact, if you read the Bible, there's this one gal who was so enamored by Jesus that she had this expensive perfume. It was worth a year's salary. And she said, you know what I'm going to do in worship the Lord? I'm going to pour it all out on Jesus' head and on his feet, and that's my worship. And then there are the others people. Um, on, on, on the Sunday before Jesus would give his life on Friday, um, we call it Palm Sunday, where he was riding into Jerusalem, they, they prompted and they, they spontaneously erupted as if He were king. So they waved palm branches, and they set their coats down on the floor. And that's how they celebrated. I'm always struck by David. David in the Old Testament, when the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, when it was coming to Jerusalem, you know what David did? Does anyone remember? his wife didn't like it. I'm not sure why, but anyway. um, uh, It said, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, based on my church experience, this, this is challenging to me. I don't think Lutherans have perfected liturgical dance yet. <laughs> We're working on it or maybe not, I don't know. But maybe it does help me out because when I was a kid I could never just stand perfectly still. I was a swayer. You know, and so maybe maybe God's okay when I sway to the word, you know? But the reality It's like picking duck-duck goose over rowing the boat. Because there's a tremendous amount of freedom in how we worship and celebrate the tremendous nature of our God and our King. In fact, um, you know, I grew up during a time in church, and if you're not familiar with church, you're still welcome here, but I I grew up during a time called the worship wars. Do you remember these? The worship wars. Sounds heavy, doesn't it? And it was a time where people were looking at all the different ways and and styles available, and people asking questions, well, which one really is better? Is A Mighty Fortress by Martin Luther on the organ better than Christy Knuckles, A Mighty Fortress with a Praise Band? Or what what is the best way to expound on the Word of God? Is it through the liturgy, which is the Word of God, or is it through a really long sermon, (laughs) double sermon, you know, that expounds the Word of God? What's the best way to to approach Scripture? Should we have a a series of readings called a pericope that assigns different lessons that rotates every three years? Or or should we do sermon series that that explore all these other portions of the Word? Where should we worship? Should it be in a cafetorium or a Gothic cathedral? And people were asking, well, one has to be better, right? This one or that one. And to be honest, it was kind of like duck-duck-goose Or row the boat. Because there's freedom. Imagine it a different way. I know some of you are parents, maybe some of you have nieces or nephews or grandchildren. Imagine that that group of kids wanted to come and celebrate who you are through song. Let's say it's a dad and and, and the kids came in and, and they came in with guitar and cymbals and drums and they're like, dad is awesome, he's so strong, you know. Now, if dad hears that on his birthday, is dad going to send him away saying, I don't accept your praise. Um, if you could come back when you have four-part harmony and more respectful words, well, let's do it the other way. Let's say they come in with four-part harmony and they use superior language and they say, dad is transcendent, his, his gifts are abundant, his love is incredible. Let's say they do that. Would he send them back and say, no, no, I, I really prefer guitar, uh, kids, please, please, they, they make guitars now. Are you starting to get the point? Because what really matters is our heart's connectivity to who our Father is. And so if I could give advice from my simple perspective, it'd be this, that the art form is servant to prop up the message. That's what art is. It's just something that I can leverage to tell the greatest story, to reference the greatest being, whether that be with Handel's Messiah or Hillsong's Who You Say I Am, both beautiful in their own right. I just use that to prop up the name of Jesus. You know, David, in writing Psalm 150, he said this, praise him with the sounding of trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with strings and pipe, the clash of cymbals, resounding cymbals, the one who danced. And so, dear friends, Use art. But friends, it does not matter whether it's a hymnal or a screen, a Gothic cathedral or a renovated gymnasium. Friends, it does not matter if it's a pericope or sermon series. What matters is that the name of Jesus is proclaimed, that his word comes out forth true. In fact, I was doing a little bit more research on worshiping the Lord and I wanted to give you just some bullet points to get a, a, a framework. As we dive into the Bible and see other things that please the Lord when it comes to worship, I'm going to give you four principles, just real quick. Uh, so number one, the first principle is this, that God desires our best, not our leftovers. Do you know that? God desires your very best, not your leftover. In, in fact, if you read the book of Malachi, this was the, the whole book was all about this, that they were bringing leftovers. Um, When it comes to our offerings, in Malachi, it said, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? What he's referencing is they had pure animals, those who are worth a lot more money, but they weren't willing to to bring their first fruits, what we call it, to the Lord. They just brought their leftovers. So at Amazing Love, one of the things our core values is to bring our best. That's what we're for. And, and, And we strive for that every Sunday. I don't know how many times as a staff talking with Courtney, we, we, we try to bring our best, don't we? It, it's something always on our hearts that we would glorify God with the greatness of what he's given. That's the church. Another principle of worship, here's another one. God desires worship that is orderly and edifying. In fact, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, written by Paul, the Christians there, uh, he says, man, uh, things should be edifying. He, he said, everything must be done so that the church may be built up And so one of the ways we're edified is by hearing the word and understanding it. So a lot has been done so that you hear the word and understand it. I consider our sound panels that were brought in just a year ago. I consider the copper wires under the floor, which we call a listening loop, so that if you're hard of hearing, you can hear that word. Because people should hear the word to really be built up. The efforts to engage other people to the message is just an effort that they might hear the word and be built up. And yes, there is an order to what we do. Another principle, God desires teaching that holds to the truth. In fact, he even warns us that, that some of the temptation of, of Christian church bodies will be to get away from the truth, to, to give in to, to what is societally acceptable. In fact, in, in Timothy it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, it will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And so God says whether this is what agrees with you or not, whether this is an easy word or not, I hope that you will take what what I say over against what others have said, over against what, again, is popular, that, that, again, my word would be proclaimed in in purity. This is a good thing to strive for. And I don't know how many times this even happens to me as a pastor, where I am convicted by the word of God. Oh, this is a tough word, but, Lord, uh, it's a good word because you said it, and I, I believe it. Right, but then finally God desires worship that centers on the Savior because there are many reasons that we've gathered we gather in order to be part of a Christian community which is great we gather um, to hear great music we, we gather um, for our children to learn about Jesus we gather yes even for coffee and donuts which is always good but primarily we gather to see a Savior, to consider the reason of our soul's salvation. It's more than just self-help. It's more than just good times. It is, again, the reason that we stand and fall to the Lord Almighty, to gather and see what He's done, to continue to mind the depths of how wide and high and deep and long is that love. Yes, we have come to see Jesus. John the disciple, after he wrote his book, the book of John said this was his capstone. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. We are here so that you might believe that Jesus is real. He is for you. He is the Savior. But as I close, I want to talk about the most amazing latte I have ever had. <laughs> I recently went to the Fulton Market. And I tell you I love Chicago. I went to the Fulton Market and there's this place called Limitless. And 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 look at this latte. Yeah. Right? That is edible glitter. Some of you girls are like Amazoning that right now, right? You know. <laughs> it's a charcoal latte. And they said there's actual charcoal in it. It doesn't taste like charcoal. And that wasn't really the selling point. But isn't that a magnificent cup? That's incredible. But what I recognize is this is a cup of Joe that I cannot get anywhere else. I can't get McDonald's and say, give me a charcoal latte. I can't get Starbucks, give me a charcoal latte. I can't go to Dunkin' and say, nope, those coffee places don't work. I have to go to the Fulton Market. I have to go to Limitless in order to get this cup of Joe. And maybe you have something like that in your life. There's a specific place you need to go to get exactly what you want. How many are Costco members? Costco? Yeah, because where else are you going to get bulk goods at that price? And those muffins in the bakery? I mean, who else makes them that big, right? They're delicious, right? Because sometimes you have to go specific places to get specifically what you want and what you need. Now, now, I got a point. When we gather in worship, you know what worship really is? It's coming to receive gifts that only God can give. You know, we live in a day and age where people are looking down on the church, and, and this is just, it's radical to me. Because where else can you gather with other Christians to hear the word of God explained And then talk about that word with other people in real time. How's it working in your life as we do in small groups or in starting point? Where else can you gather for a baptism to receive the gift of God's grace that closes with righteousness as Savannah will receive today and that we get to celebrate collectively? How awesome. Where else can you go to receive Jesus' true body and blood in the sacrament that doesn't just remind us of forgiveness, but assures us and gives that forgiveness so that we are at peace with a holy God. Tell me where else to get the peace and the joy that flows from our God. Dear friends, that's what worship is. It's coming as a beggar to receive all of God's goodness and then responding from the heart. So friends, I invite you to gather often. I invite you not to go through the motions. I invite you to see how good the Savior is, and let's use art to prop up that name. But most of all, I invite you today and every day to give your heart to the one who gave you his. Amen. Please stand.